pray for their city and seek the welfare of the city, of the people who have actually conquered them. And while their sin's being punished, God's not only the God of Israel and Judah, but He's the God of the whole world. And He will not let sin slide elsewhere. Because of this, God has said through Jeremiah that the other nations will be judged for their sin as well. And that's what we've seen the last couple weeks. Two weeks ago it was Egypt, and then last week, I forget exactly, Moab. Moab is who it was. And they were judged for their sin. And this morning we're actually coming to Babylon, the final one, which takes up, Babylon itself takes up the space of all the other nations on the, bad, uh, the judgment that's pronounced against them. But today we're also going to hear about the hope for the restoration of Israel. So read with me from Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 1 to 20. The word that the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, concerning the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet, declare among the nations and proclaim, set up a banner and proclaim, conceal it not and say, Babylon is taken, Bel is put to shame, Merodach is dismayed. Her images are put to shame. Her idols are dismayed. For out of the north a nation has come up against her, which shall make her land a desolation, and none shall dwell in it. Both man and beast shall flee away. In those days and at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come, and they shall seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with faces turned toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them, and their enemies have said, We are not guilty, for they have sinned against the Lord their habitation of righteousness, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Flee from the midst of Babylon and go out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as male goats before the flock. For behold, I am stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north country, and they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be taken. Their arrows are like a skilled warrior who does not return empty-handed Chaldea shall be plundered. All who plunder her shall be sated, declares the Lord. Though you rejoice, though you exalt, O plunderers of my heritage, though you frolic like a heifer in the pasture and neigh like stallions, your mother shall be utterly shamed, and she who bore you shall be disgraced. Behold, she shall be the last of the nations, a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. Because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited but shall be in utter desolation. Everyone who passes by Babylon shall be appalled and hiss because of all her wounds. Set yourselves in array against Babylon all around, all you who bend the bow. Shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Raise a shout against her all around. She has surrendered. Her, bul her bulwarks have fallen. Her walls are thrown down, for this is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her, do to her as she has done. Cut off from Babylon the sower and the one who handles the sickle in the time of harvest because of the sword of the oppressor. Everyone shall turn to his own people and everyone shall, shall flee to his own land. Israel is a hunted sheep driven away by lions. 
First, the king of Assyria devoured him. And now at last, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has gnawed his bones. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing punishment on the king of Babylon and his land as I punish the king of Assyria. I will restore Israel to his pasture, and he shall feed on Carmel and in Bashan, and his desire shall be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and in Gilead. In those days and at that time, declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel, and there shall be none. And sin in Judah, and none shall be found. For I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. This Word of judgment for sin and restoration for Your people. God, we pray that we would hear it well. That it would seep into our hearts. We would have hope that You're trying to communicate to, the, to Your people here. And we pray that You would open our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear You. And that we would know and love You more through hearing Your Word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you like running? Show of hands. Like, actually enjoy it while you're doing it. Okay. So I'm going to ask you all to be, act normal for the next few minutes as we're thinking about this. I'm just kidding. I think it's good that you like running. It just makes no sense to me whatsoever. So Allison and I live downtown, and just in the last week, we've seen two runs come by there, the, the Santa Scamper and the Turkey Trot. And they were in that order, which is another issue, but that's not, what we're, that's not what we're dealing with this morning. But as I'm seeing it happen, I'm just glad that I'm not down there. Right? I don't like running. I do it sometimes, because it's good for you, is what they say. But I don't like it. And the only reason I can get through it is because I know it's going to be over. All right? I'll put music or a podcast on and I can tell you the gist of what I'm listening to or what happened, but I don't really know because the whole time I'm focused on how much I don't like running. So if I'm going to run for 20 minutes, here's what's actually going on in my head. Like five minutes in, we're like, okay, quarter of the way done. Five minutes down, only 15 to go. Here we go. We got it. And then two and a half minutes later, all right, 12 and a half more percent. We're getting close. Be done in 12 and a half minutes. That's it. Just got to keep going. We can get through this. And then 12, 12 and a half minutes later, like I'm doing that math the whole time in my head, how far I am from the finish line, because it's so miserable. <laughs> and then we're finally done, right? So I can get through it and I can keep running, because I know that it's going to be over. <laughs> I hope that it's going to be finished. I can do something that I would rather not do, and I can do it fairly decently, because I know that it's coming to an end. You know what I would do if there was like no time limit or no distance limit? Like one of these, just going to go out and run for fun. Wouldn't happen, first of all. Like you have Forrest Gump. He's like, I just felt like running. It's not happening. I'm not joining along either. Because if I did, what would happen was I'd be like keeping along and I'm like, why are we doing this? I don't like this. And then I'm slowing down. You can only keep yourself going if you know that you're going to be done. And then eventually I just quit. Just game over. So how do you keep going without any hope? What if it's never going to end? That's what life can feel like sometimes. Especially when things get hard. It can seem like they're never going to end. 
And we can lose hope so easily. And when we do, we lose that picture of the end. We find that actually our faith falters in the midst of it. And we don't live in love. Right? It gets hard. Hope is so important for all of life. Judah's been told that they'll be in exile for 70 years. They're living in a strange land. They're actually supposed to pray for and seek the welfare of their oppressors. It's kind of a tough pill to swallow. Yet Jeremiah gives them hope that they will be restored and that they need to be prepared for this restoration. And like Judah in exile, we all need hope that justice will be done and that we will be restored. We can keep running as hard as it may be because we know God will bring it to an end, that He will bring justice and restoration. So that's what we're going to see this morning in Jeremiah. The tables are going to turn for both Babylon and for Israel. It's going to be a complete reversal of what's been happening. God will judge Babylon for her sins, and God will restore His people. So those are the two points we're looking at today. Just two. So God will judge Babylon for her sins, and God will restore His people. So first, God will judge Babylon for her sins. Look with me at verse 2. It says, Babylon is taken. Bel is put to shame. Merodach is dismayed. Her images are put to shame. Her idols are dismayed. So Bel and Merodach here are actually referring to the same person. So Bel is like the general term for master or lord. If you see Baal or Baal, depending on how you pronounce it, elsewhere in the Bible, that's like the Babylonian pronunciation of it. So it's kind of the same thing. They've adopted it. And then Merodach is their chief deity in the Babylonian creation epic. He's the creator god. He's their chief deity. He's an imposter, really. So for me, this brings to mind C.S. Lewis. If you've read The Last Battle, there's a donkey named Puzzle and an ape named Shift. And so they find this lion carcass and Shift's kind of running the show. And he's, he's putting this lion carcass on Puzzle to make him look like a lion. So it's a like a donkey body with a lion carcass on it. And he's telling everybody, this is Aslan. But he has to keep everyone at a distance because obviously, if you get close enough, you're going to see it's a donkey wearing a, wearing a fur coat. The second fur coat, I guess. He is no Aslan. He's a poser, pretending to be the creator God. Well, Babylon has worshipped and served these false idols And the one true Creator God is about to expose their chief deity and put Him to shame. He's going to show show people what He really is. Merodach can't protect Babylon from Yahweh. So how's this going to happen? If you look at verse 3, For out of the north a nation has come against her, which shall make her land a desolation, and none shall dwell in it. Then again, verse 9 and 10, For behold, I am stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north country, and they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be taken. Chaldea shall be plundered, and all who plunder her shall be sated, declares the Lord. So if you've been reading through Jeremiah, starting in chapter 1, we have this picture of a bowl being poured out from the north. 
And from the beginning of Jeremiah, Babylon has been this one who's the enemy from the north who's coming. He's, they're the ones whose God's actually going to use them to bring judgment on Judah and the surrounding nations. But now the tables have turned on them. And now there's an enemy who will come from the north to destroy them. And while Babylon plundered Judah and the nations around her, Babylon will now be plundered. Just everything's flipped. And if you read 11 to 16, you'll just kind of see, see those things happening. And notice that it's actually the Lord who's doing this. So we've talked about this as we've gone through some of this judgment stuff, that it's the Lord that who's using these armies to accomplish His purposes. You see in verse 9, it's, I am stirring up. Verse 13, because of the wrath of the Lord. 15, it's the vengeance of the Lord. Verse 18, it's the Lord saying, I am bringing punishment. So Babylon will be punished by a country from the north. But make no mistake, it is the Lord who is bringing it about. So why is He doing this? We mentioned the false gods, false worship. You see, um, kind of specifies that they've plundered His heritage, the heritage of the Lord in verse 11. He's actually done this to Israel. But I think it's summed up in verse 14. Because she, that's Babylon, has sinned against the Lord. That's why she's being punished. That's why she's being judged. God will not let sin go unpunished. As much as we like to believe that sometimes. So how should Babylon have responded to this? It says at the beginning that this is a, to the nations too, so they're hearing it. So how should they actually be responding to this threat of judgment? They should have repented. They should have turned from their sins. In repentance, there's hope even for Babylon. If you think about Jonah, it's the clear picture of that. That Jonah's message, once he finally goes to Nineveh, is yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's what he says. He doesn't qualify it with anything. Right? He just pronounces judgment. And in Jonah 3, the king says, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God sees that, he does relent. That repentance is what we should be looking for here from Babylon. But sadly, we don't see it. And eventually, Babylon is destroyed. But when this was written, I'm going to say it's between 595 and 580 during that period. So not long after, but the people don't come out until 538. So you've still got over 40 years before. When this was written, there was still hope for Babylon. They still had time. If they would have turned from their sins and turned to the one true and living God, they would have been saved. And yet their time ran out. There may be some of you here today who, would, who are not Christians, who are not among God's people, who might fit more into the Babylonian camp than into the Judean camp. Those who do not trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And this message, this prophecy is the same for you as it was for Babylon. There's a day of judgment that is coming. 
God will not let sin go unpunished. Repent. Confess your sins. Turn from them. Turn to obedience and trust in Christ. He's the one man who did not sin. (laughs) The one who did not deserve punishment. Yet willingly died and rose again to save all who trust in Him. Turn to Christ. Believe in Him today for your salvation. For like Babylon, that day is coming. Though you do not know when, like Babylon, it will come. Don't delay. Turn to Christ. She might say, I'm not really guilty of anything. I haven't done anything that bad that deserves punishment. I'm really a good person. It's actually kind of what the Babylonians say. Say in verse 7, they say that they aren't guilty. And notice why they say that. They say, because of what Israel's done. (laughs) They're comparing themselves to Israel, who Jeremiah spent 25 chapters saying, you're in sin, you're in sin, you're in sin, turn. (laughs) They're saying, well, we're not guilty because they did that, so it's fine. No. It's not. So let me ask you, if you think you are good, to whom are you comparing yourself? I think we all do it at different times. And for most of us, it's really easy to look around and see someone that we're better than. It's in quotes. We're not really better than them. But we do that. We can find people to compare ourselves and say, I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good. I'll be all right. But if we actually compare ourselves to God and to His standard instead of to other people, it's not even close. It's not even a question. Like, if we're all lining up and we're putting ourselves in order, you know there's always someone down the line that we're better than. But if we take this picture of all of us compared to God who's 100,000 miles that way, then it's silly that we're even worried about what line we're in down here. It doesn't make any sense. We all fall short. We lie, we manipulate. Moy lied today up here. (laughs) But we do. We do covet, (laughs) covet things that other people have. As we get angry and offended so easily. Tony talked about a little bit of road rage last week, right? And it's, it's such a silly but easy example of the sin that's in our hearts. <laughs> we're just driving down the road and the stuff that comes out because <laughs> we're going slower than we'd like to because someone did something we don't like. <laughs> We might be able to cover up the depth of the sin in our hearts for a while. And some of us can do it pretty well. But we're still covering it up. It's still there. We all need a Savior. We all need to repent, confessing of our sin and turning from it to Christ. That's one of the reasons we have our confession of sin every single week. We're the church. And we still need it every week. We need it more often than that, but that's how often we get together. So 
We need it all the time. So let us, by God's grace and the work of His Spirit in our lives, turn from our sin and turn to Christ. Now we look at how the exiles were to respond to this pronouncement against Babylon. It should fill them with hope. Jeremiah has told them how long they're going to be there and what it's going to be like. But God says that Babylon will be judged for their sins. Those wrongs will be made right. In the end, Babylon and all oppressors will be destroyed. It should give them hope. And for those of us who are suffering or oppressed, it should give us hope too. That all the wrongs we suffer will one day be made right. That we can persevere through this life in the midst of those difficulties. Knowing that God one day will make it right. And notice that it's not Israel who gets to right those wrongs. The only thing they're told here is that they're going to flee. <laughs> they don't say, get back at Babylon. They're actually to seek their good. Likewise, Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who, per who persecute us. We can have hope that when we're wronged, it will one day be made right. And vengeance belongs to the Lord and not to us. God will judge Babylon for her sins, as He will, in fact, judge all sins. God will not only judge sin, but He will also restore His people. So if you look with me at verses 4 and 5, In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come, and they shall seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with faces turned toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. As we saw the tables turn on Babylon, it's going to happen for Israel and Judah as well. But unlike Babylon, where it's just kind of one-to-one, -one, you destroyed, you're going to be destroyed, God is so much more gracious than that to His people. He actually takes them back to what it better than before the exile. We can see a bit of their history in verses in where it's led in verses six and seven. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. So since I've already uh, referenced C.S. Lewis, and since I'm in the PCA, I need to reference Tolkien here. So we have to get that in here. So picture um, some hobbits, hobbit shepherds and their sheep are grazing in the Shire, right? That's where they belong. Wonderful pasture, so green, so good. But the shepherds there, they're not content. They thought the grass looked greener on the other side of Middle Earth. So they take the sheep, they go out of the Shire, kind of the same, same path. They don't get to go see the elves, but the, other, the same path that Frodo and them take. They go to Mordor, there's no grass. There's always something trying to kill them, right? So if we're watching the movies, Allison likes the first one because you see the pretty New Zealand landscape, right? And then the next two, it's just dark and gray. <laughs> That's what it's like. And along the way, they lost their way back to the Shire. They've forgotten it. That's kind of the picture here. 
As we've said throughout Jeremiah, the shepherds are the leaders of Israel, the kings, the prophets, the priests. And aside from the short reforms by Josiah, things have not gone well. The leadership has failed God's people. Instead of leading them to worship the Lord, they've worshipped other idols at other high places. That's what Jeremiah is saying, turning them away on the high mountains. They're going from high place to high place, worshipping other gods. They've done this and they've forgotten their own fold. They've forgotten the shire. They've forgotten the place where they were cared for and nurtured by the Lord. Their enemies who devoured them even say, well, they've sinned against the Lord. It's people outside the people of God that are saying they've sinned against the Lord. Just think about that. And the Lord is their habitation or their pasture of righteousness. The Lord, the hope of their fathers. That's where Judah was before the exile. Wasn't a good picture. But God cares too much about His people to take them back to that. Instead, He goes way beyond. He's not taking them back to Mordor. He's taking them back to the Shire. Israel and Judah will be reconciled together. They'll repent of their sin. You see that as they're weeping as they come. They're weeping for their sin. And they're seeking to worship the Lord alone. And there will be covenant renewal. Then we read in verse 20, In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel and there shall be none. And sin in Judah and none shall be found. For I will pardon those I leave as a remnant. This is the same type of language used in Jeremiah 31 about the new covenant. I think that's what we're talking about here. So what are they to do? Look at verse 8. It says, Flee from the midst of Babylon and go out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as male goats before the flock. They're to get out of Dodge, to run away from there. If you had a bunch of goats in a pen, you open it, the male goats would be the first ones that would jump out. That's what they're saying. Be ready. Be ready to go. When it happens, you're going to be the first ones. I want you out of there. Yet they weren't to flee right away. As we said, there's still about 40, 40 to 50 years before they're actually going to happen. But when the enemy of the north is coming, when they see that, their time of exile will be over. But they need to be ready. They need to be prepared, even though they have to wait. They need to know that God will bring their exile to an end. That they'll be returned home. That's the hope that they need and the hope that Jeremiah is giving them here. And this is no vain hope. What Jeremiah prophesied happened. The Persians and the Medes came in from the north and conquered Babylon. The ruins of Babylon sit empty today, about 50 miles south of Baghdad. They're there. It has been destroyed. This has taken place. I think a lot of times we want these applications for like how do we how do we then apply this to our lives and what we want is we want what can i go do right because then we know that we did it it's measurable we can kind of check it off we like to accomplish things i like to accomplish things i assume most of you like to accomplish things so we're always looking for what do, well, what do i need to go do so that i know that i went and did it that's what we're looking for But the main application for this text for them is to continue to remain to be faithful in the midst of exile and be prepared. 
It's not something that they can just go and do. The main application is that they're to wait for the Lord. They're to have hope in Him. That they'll bring Him out. Of, that He'll bring them out of it. And He did. God restored His people just as He promised. He's ushered in His new covenant through His Son. While the shepherds of Israel in the past actually led them into sin, Jesus tells us in John 10 that He is the Good Shepherd and that the Good Shepherd lays down His life for His sheep. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He leaves heaven and becomes a man to save His own. Instead of leading us into sin as Israel's leaders did, He's the one man without sin who leads us into truth and obedience. And He's actually the true King. As we talk about, they're the leaders and kings in Israel. He's actually the one true King. He doesn't lead us into sin, but instead He actually takes our sin from us and takes it upon Himself. So that Jeremiah 50.20 can be true. So that we can be pardoned. So that sin cannot be found in God's people because we have been pardoned by Christ's sacrifice. 1 Peter 2 says that Jesus Himself took our sin in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Because by His wounds we have been healed. For we were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Turn to Christ. Follow the true shepherd. Trust in Him alone. And by the power of His Spirit at work in you, die more and more to sin every day and live to righteousness. Live in obedience to Him. And as those who were in exile were to be prepared to flee, so Christ has told us to be prepared for His return. We can have hope that all things will be made right. As the exile ended, just as the Lord said, so will Christ return as He has promised. Where He will wipe every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. That is coming. We read that in Revelation. If you actually go read Revelation 18-21 to this afternoon or sometime this week, and you'll see Allusions to this passage, you'll see in 18 and 19, the judgment of Babylon at the end. These same things. You'll see Christ return. The true shepherd who will lead His people into the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we're looking toward. And we can look forward to that day knowing that it will happen because He has told us. Because we know that He keeps His Word as He has kept His Word in Jeremiah here. We can look forward to that finish line. However hard this race is to run. We can say with Paul that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And as we live with this hope, let us pray that one day we will be able to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith.
Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are faithful, that You are good, that You have pardoned our sin in Christ. God, let us know Your faithfulness. Let us trust in Your Word. Let us wait for You with full hope that Christ will return, that we will be freed from sin and its effects one day. And let us live faithful lives of obedience in the meantime by the power of Your Spirit. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.